This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I'm Norman Lau, and we have yet another fantastic show for all of the fans and listeners out there, our red shirts, our blue beamers, our Trekkies, all of you, all of you that come back and listen to Standard Orbit, we have something special for you tonight. And extremely special, what I'd like to say is we have the crew, the launch crew back here for Standard Orbit, and I'm psyched to have everyone back in here to talk about this special topic tonight. We have Mr. Atos, Jeffrey Harlan, back in the Atavricon chamber. So how are you, Jeff? I'm doing good, but, uh, you know, th- fortunately, with time travel, you're never too late. That's true. Very Doctor Who of you. You know, time is very, very wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey of you. And special guest here back with us tonight is our chief engineer, Ken Tripp. Ken, welcome back to Standard Orbit. Hey, thanks. It's good to be back. I mean, Jeff sent me down to engineering to, told me to go find my military bearings, and I was down there for a week before I figured out what he was doing, so I was pretty embarrassed. But uh, great show last week with two very well-respected guests, and we're ready to roll this week. Did you at least least find the uh, yard of flight line? We have service guys here, and we're going to talk about something really cool uh, in the middle of the show that has to do with that. But before we get into that, What I wanted to do is introduce the topic that has probably caused a lot of consternation in the fan community, not as of late, but as of recent. And what I'm talking about in the subject matter for tonight is the Star Trek Beyond trailer, teaser trailer or trailer, however you would like to define it. And we're going to go a little bit further than that. In fact, we're going to go beyond that. So just to fit that in, that's for you, Christopher Jones, because you really did kind of start that whole, let's yell the name beyond more affectionately than anybody else. So a lot of you have already seen the trailer. The trailer dropped December 14th, 2015. This is what we know about the trailer. It's been spoken of ad nauseum, but it was widely criticized by fans for focusing on too much action the Beastie Boys sabotage song, the motorcycle, 
everything seeming just a little bit more fast, a little bit more furious. Yes, pardon the pun, or don't pardon the pun, as you prefer. But that's what people came away with when they saw the trailer for the very first time, and it sparked such immediate controversy, the likes I have never really seen about a film. We know that the director is Justin Lin, and these are from the credits at the very end of the trailer. We know that the writers are Simon Pegg, Doug Jung, Robert Orsi, John D. Payne, and Patrick McKay. That also is from the trailer. So these are the facts. Everyone has had a chance on the network to discuss this, either through the roundtable or the ready room. And your standard Orbit hosts would like to give all of you our feedback on how we felt about our initial reactions of the trailer. So, Ken, I know you have a lot to say about this. We've actually talked about this offline a little bit. So, your reactions to the trailer and how did you feel? First of all, I was thrilled when it uh, when it broke onto the internet just before the release of The Force Awakens. I thought that it was a, um, a nice surprise when I started seeing links and Facebook and people are saying, here it is in German and we're trying to download it and then you couldn't get it and then all of a sudden Paramount released it. And my first reaction was, here we go, it's time. Star Trek is back. I was happy. I wasn't thinking about the music. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was doing what I always do, looking very closely at every single scene, trying to pick out of it what was going on. It was fast. It was moving at a, at a good clip. There's no doubt about that. I thought um, there were some great lines. And, you know, my, my first reaction is, all right, you know, here's The Force Awakens, and now Star Wars is going to be the trailer that accompanies it. And it just got me all pumped up for the 50th anniversary. So my reaction was, I guess, in the minority. But I was excited, happy, and um, and then quite depressed when I started seeing all the commentary that started to pour in. And Jeff, when you saw the trailer, did you actually get a chance to see it in front of The Force Awakens? Because it was supposed to have been a package deal. Some say it was actually legitimately and in, 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 um, specifically cut to be part of this type of, this type of action milieu of science fiction. Yeah, everything I'd heard leading up to it, uh, they were saying, oh, it's going to be shown before Force Awakens, and I thought, you know, when it leaked online, I saw it, and I thought, well, you know, they cut it for Star Wars audience, you know, you got a lot of action, and a lot of, uh, um, you know, excitement going on in space, which is perfect for people going to see Star Wars, and then I went and saw Star Wars, and they didn't show it at that theater. I saw it twice at the same theater, and they didn't show it either time. And what was your reaction to the trailer? How did you feel? Because we're coming at it from an original series standpoint, obviously fans of 2009 and Into Darkness. You know, we we probably championed those films more than most. And how did you feel about how Beyond was taking you in this one minute, 30 second trailer? I enjoyed the trailer, uh, probably in part because I had already got it in my head. Well, they're cutting it for a certain audience, so this is what they're going to show. They're not going to show, you know, just long talky scenes in front of a, a Star Wars movie. Um and I didn't hate the music because it tied directly back to the 2009 film. That's the same song that was playing with young Kirk stealing the car. Uh and it's perfectly fitting for that to be playing with Kirk sitting on this uh, bridge and Scotty comes in. Now, when I was looking at the trailer and looking at it more 
as a dissection and trying to find the tonal theme of it, which is hard to do in a minute and 30 seconds, I actually did something really interesting. I turned off the sound and I wanted to look at it in terms of still pictures. I was literally going almost frame by frame and trying to find where they were trying to go with this. And probably one of the things that I really enjoyed the most about doing that is trying to make sense out of all the different jump cuts that were happening because you were literally moving probably from different parts, front and back, and all the different sets because there's a set that looks absolutely dilapidated and rotting to the modern bridge of the Enterprise to obviously different planets. So there's a funny thing that someone wrote on the Babel conference after that trailer hit. And they're like, exactly what part of Star Trek does this not hit? There were three checkboxes. Seeking out new life, check. New civilizations, check. Boldly going where no one has gone before, check. How is that not Star Trek to you? And I'm pretty sure that what I just said is going to start a firestorm a little bit in the Babel conference, but we're just discussing this. There is no right or wrong to this. So what I enjoyed seeing, I enjoyed seeing... And because I'm a creative designer, I enjoyed seeing the Starfleet tunics. I liked seeing the new material that they were using. I liked seeing the different type of aliens. I liked hearing that Idris Elba's Crawls character, this is where the frontier pushes back. These are things that I was latching onto. Not that there was a motorcycle or not that the Beastie Boys was in there. I'm looking for the new things that they were introducing. And I really hope that people were paying attention to that aspect of it and not letting the nostalgia of their Star Trek to interfere with the appreciation of something new. That's, that was the moral of the story of standard orbit 112 with Larry and John Jeffrey and myself. That was kind of the reason why I brought that up. So what did you guys enjoy seeing? What, what did you see in the, in the trailer that really excited you, Ken? For me, it it started off with just the characters again. Uh, you know, to me, when I watch Star Trek, especially original series stuff, it doesn't matter if it's JJ or not. I love seeing Captain Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Ahura, Scotty, the whole team. That's the first thing. It's like, okay, my friends are back. That's what I liked. And then, like you, I I, I pay very close attention to detail. Did they change the bridge of the Enterprise? It looks like they changed it a little bit, and it looks pretty good to me. Did they change anything with the ship for the seconds that we got to see it? You know, I was looking to see if maybe they, they tweaked here or tweaked there. Um, but it was good to see the Enterprise again. Doesn't look like it has a good fate, but um, it, w- it was good to see. And then the uniforms, of course. Now, I go back to some of the the photographs that were leaked over the summer, where they were showing their kind of away uniforms with the jacket and, you know, kind of the, the, the hip holstered phaser and all that stuff. And I said, this is this looks very functional. Everything looks pretty cool. And I was looking to see if I could see that in the trailer or some of the pictures that they had taken when they were in Dubai. Obviously, that star base they were visiting was was a big piece of that. So I, I liked it all, Norm. I mean, I just, um, I, I, I liked the, the, the part with uh, Spock and McCoy. And, you know, that was, a, that was a great scene when Spock beams out. Just that, that little touch. And, you know, Carl Urban has got a great McCoy going. He really does. He captures it well. So that's what I really liked. It, to me, it's just, it's just telling me we're almost here. It's, it's around the corner. There's a lot of big movies coming out this year, but this is the one I want to see more than any of them. 
And I was glad to get that little taste. And I'm looking forward to the next trailer because I know that, um, you know, people are smart. They're going to listen to the feedback. And I'm sure that the team in marketing and Paramount or whatnot will will make some adjustments and, and want to make sure that they, they win back maybe some of the audience they, they lost, I guess, with their choice of the the high speed and the hard rock. But we'll, we'll see where it goes. You know, Jeff, I know you're a pretty big stickler for detail, especially when it comes to the original series. And when you were watching the trailer, what were you looking for specifically? Was there anything that you wanted to find? Um, mostly, I just wanted to see if they were going to have a decent story uh, coming out. And it looks like they've got one. Um, we've only just gotten the very smallest taste of what's uh, what's in store. But, I mean, I can tell, you know, we've got what looks like a Federation outpost out on the frontier being attacked by aliens. Enterprise shows up, they get attacked, and they get mauled. Maybe the ship gets destroyed, maybe not. They pulled that trick on the last movie trailer and made it look like the Enterprise got destroyed there. So it's still up in the air whether or not that's actually happening. Um, And from everything I'm seeing, it it looks like it's just a very good uh, story in line with everything else that we've seen in the past. Uh, There's hints of a lot of other good stuff that uh, just didn't make it into the trailer. Um, I like the the new costumes. They look like a nice bridge between the original series and the next generation costumes. Uh, you've got the high Mandarin collars with just a little hint of black piping that looks very much like next generation. Uh, and then the rest of it looks like the original series, and it's a nice blend of the two. Uh, I liked uh, the jackets that they were wearing, and some of them, uh, there were some high-res uh, screen captures that went online, and you could see the shoulder patch isn't even from the Enterprise. It says USS Franklin on it, which is some more interesting stuff because it's like, well, there's another ship involved. Maybe the ship we saw getting blown up was that one. It's possible. What the great thing is about speculation, if you allow yourself to do it and go more into um, a positive frame of mind, is to think about the possibilities. And when I was looking at that and I saw the different sets and the different costume changes. Scotty was actually wearing, and if you look really close and freeze frame at the right time, he was almost wearing a 21st century, 20th, 21st century A2 bomber jacket. That's, he, it was the same type of pocket cut, the same type of um, big shag kind of sheepskin collar, something that was a throwback. The motorcycle's there, and we know that whatever base they're on has been left there for quite some time. So what if those were the personal effects of a crew that was stranded there? My big speculation was, and and I'm going to throw this out there, and and I would love to hear what all of you think about what we're talking about, all of our speculation here. What if this was a mission, and I'm talking about the stuff that was left behind. What What if it was a mission that was such a total loss that Starfleet just buried it? They said, we failed the final frontier mission, our first five year plan, it failed. Leave it out there. Let it rot. Start from scratch. Let's see what happens. Very much like what happened when they buried Khan on SETI Alpha 5. And they completely forgot about him. And then what happens? The sins of the past come back to haunt you. Kirk and company find this planet. It was, for some odd reason, just forgotten about over time. And then, you know what? The inhabitants of that planet were so upset. This is an adult show. I can say it. They were pissed off that their this entire civilization was uprooted by what they thought was a peaceful envoy. And now what happens? They have the technology that they've gleaned from all of that Federation tr- 
trash that was left behind to strike back. It's very well possible because I do think that that one line that Idris Elbis Kral says, the Fed, you know, the, the frontier is going to push back. The Federation isn't accepted everywhere. We think it is. But that's just what we believe. And I think that there's, there's going to be an approach to that in this movie. So that's the speculation there. And I think that's, you know, what trailers are supposed to do. That's, as an optimist, that's what I hope that I'd like to see. But... Going further into the trailer and going further into what has been released post-trailer release, there has been some pretty interesting information, especially coming from Entertainment Tonight as of recent, as of recent releases in terms of information. And one of the really cool interviews that happened was with John Cho and Carl Urban, and I think that um, Christopher Pine was also in there. Uh, and let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's talk about what Carl Urban was revealing in terms of the Enterprise is a couple of years into their five-year mission. The ship's been aging. Like you said, Ken, there's a little bit of a set change here and there. And there's wear and tear on the ship. You have personal experience about how there can be a home-type atmosphere within years of service. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. How does that do you think fit into what's happening here on this five-year mission? I thought it was kind of neat that they pulled it into the narrative, to be honest with you, because it isn't something that was really explored very much in the original series or the next generation. It, it was in Voyager, obviously, but, you know, when you go on a deployment uh, and, and you go away for six months or a year and you realize it, it has a psychological toll on the on the individual's but it also has quite um, a toll on the equipment. So, you know, as an example, when I was deployed, there was a ship they were doing an experiment with, the USS Gonzales. You can, you can look it up. And they, they were looking to keep the ship on station for a year or two and switch out crews, which is what they did. But that ship, you know, it, I, I saw it towards the middle and the end of its deployment. It looked really rough and it needed a lot of spare parts. And we, we had to uh, use our, our boats at one point to go out there and, and get them some things that they needed in order to continue on with their mission. So it's a very relevant point to this. And I like that they pulled it into the story because we do know from the interview that they were out there two years. And that doesn't seem like an extended period of time. But you look at that crew. It's a young crew. It's an exciting mission. <laughs> it's an exciting mission. And it's also, um, it's a big ship. But those ships get very, very small in time. And uh, it takes no time at all before you realize you're in a very, very small environment in a very, very big sea or a very big span of space. And it, it can really be taxing on you. And, and the, the fact that they went down that road I found was fascinating. And I, I listened to your speculation, which I thought was pretty interesting. I, I, I'd go a different path than you, but that's okay. I think that um, that when you look at the other bridge that they're on was a ship that, that crash landed or was captured by these same bad guys. And they're trying to use that equipment to get back home or whatever, but we'll see. But I, I think, um, we talk about missions, we talk about time away from family and, you know, you had John Cho showing a picture of what's supposed to be his daughter, Sulu's daughter. Hopefully it's Demora. And they pay homage again to the original series and to the original cast and the original storyline. I think that'll do a lot to bring everything kind of full circle and bring it home. I, 
I can't tell you how much I am rooting for this movie to be successful because even though we have the TV series coming, I like these big budget spectacles when it's done well and and it can really bring Star Trek to a whole new level. So I have faith that this uh, that that they're going to pull this off. Now, Jeff, you have some experience also. You I mean you served and you had some pretty interesting stories about just that close quarters relationship that you have with everyone that you serve with. You may not see or know everybody by heart, but you definitely know that you're going to brush shoulders with them every once in a while. How do you think that they're going to use that dynamic in this story? And do you think that, yes, there's going to be, I mean, Spock and McCoy already have a little bit of a volatile relationship, but do you think we're going to see that just a little bit more in terms of a payoff? Do you think that the command is wearing on Kirk? Do you feel like that he's going to be isolated and alone the way that they kind of show that in the trailer? There's so much that you can do because now, like you said earlier in one of our offline stories, sorry, people, you didn't get the privilege for that, but you said that the people you serve with become almost kind of like a family and you have that relationship and then you also have the responsibility of having their back. So how does that relate to this and how did it relate to you? Yeah, it's definitely uh, a good point on that. Uh, and from what I was seeing uh, in the interview with John Cho, I mean, it sounds like that's very much something that's part of the story is that these people have been out in the wilderness for two years with nobody but each other. And in that kind of a situation, you either kill each other or you come closer together and they haven't killed each other, so I guess they grew a little closer. But at the same time, you're going to have some conflicts in there. Some people are just not going to work well together. They're going to rub up against each other and rub each other the wrong way. And, you know, you, that's just the nature of being out like that for an extended period. Um, and when it works, it works great. And these are friendships that form that you're uh, going to continue for the rest of your life. I mean, I spent a year and a half in Turkey um, for a deployment uh, for an assignment there. And the people that I was stationed with out there, I still keep in touch with them. And I've been out of the military for going on eight years now. You know, let's go back to what you said, Ken, about the picture that John Cho had of who we believe is a young, a baby Demora, you know, his daughter that we saw in generations I find it really interesting from a production standpoint and from an art direction standpoint that they actually chose to use a physical picture. In the technology age that, they ha that they're in in the 23rd century, they have every single possible digital command at their disposal. Why do you think that was important for them to make a point of having an actual physical picture to represent this anchor for family, for a longing, a yearning to go back home. Why not have it in some type of digital scan readout? How did he get it? Was it standard mail? Do we see standard mail actually being delivered? That itself, that little bitty icon kind of goes back to Star Trek II when Spock gives Kirk the best, um, A Tale of Two Cities. It was an antique book. The bifocals that he was given by McCoy, these are tangible elements anachronisms that are part of this 23rd century that for some reason are a great anchor to our emotions. I think it was a very smart move. What do you think? I agree. It was a, it was a perfect move. And that is a very common thing, by the way, when you, 
when you are on deployment. Your, your pictures of family are all over your consoles. They're they're everywhere. They're they're in your toolbox. They're in your your weapons cache. They're they're everywhere. So what this does is exactly what you said. It pulls the movie into something that people can relate to in this time and space, and it shows just how human they are. And as much as we talk about Star Trek and people evolving and so forth, there's still this need. There's this need to to be with your family, uh, to think of them, and to have that that constant reminder of why you're doing what you're doing, right? Because the crew of the Enterprise, in in all its facets, they're doing something better beyond. They're doing more than than just what's within their own self interests. They're trying to make humanity better. They're trying to make the Federation stronger. They're trying to create ties out there, and they're trying to improve the quality of life across, you know, the, the Federation, the galaxy, and whatever they're exploring. And when you do that, it's a, it's a very lonely thing. And and I can see that that touch of humanity of putting that on the council was just brilliant. Whether that was an ad by Justin Lin, and you talked about Nicholas Meyer bringing in Charles Dickens and the Tale of Two Cities. And, you know, why wouldn't they have books in the 23rd century? Well, why wouldn't they have photographs in the 23rd century? To me, it makes perfect sense. And it was the right thing to do. It's a nice tie. It's an emotional tug, you know, and it's something that we can all relate to. Even some people, they go on a two-week vacation and they're a wreck when they're away from their from their kids for even a short amount of time. So, it brings it all home that even though we might evolve and we might be more progressive and open-minded towards how we look and view each other, the emotions don't change. That yearning to be with family doesn't change. Then that that want and that need to be with the ones that you love is still very much a part of the human DNA. And that's a, that's a very, very cool thing to pull this in and to um, to allow us to share in that. And I hope that it will help the people relate more to these characters. I think the struggle that we have with Beyond a little bit and, and the J.J. verse is these are characters that have been recast. And I think in 09, they delivered perfectly. And I know with Into Darkness, there's a lot more controversy about it. And it seemed a lot less, quote unquote, Trek. Um, I could debate that with anyone. But I think in this movie, if you're going to set up peril, if you're going to set up danger, you really want to care about these characters. And I think this is how you do it. You you make them as human as possible and relatable as possible. And I think that's the direction they're trying to go. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that because the one thing that you want to feel about this character, not just these characters, but about the crew complement, is that these people care about each other and through them caring about each other you care about them i think that's one thing that we got a little bit more of in 09 not so much in terms of the general crew in into darkness but you want kirk to feel the weight of that responsibility of all of his crew depending on him i think that's why it was really smart for them to put that scene in there where you basically saw his crew being corralled like cattle by all of those alien enemies. You don't know what's going to happen. And he's responsible for all of them. Like Christopher Pike said in the cage, you know, I'm, it, it's tiring. It physically exhausts him mentally and physically and spiritually making those decisions of right and wrong, death and life of all of these crewmen. And I think that's, it's high time in these movies that you actually felt that. Um, what do you think about that, Jeff? Do you think that they're trying to establish that Kirk really is now 
feeling the weight of command. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he had a, a definite arc over the last two movies where he started off just incredibly irresponsible. He got this command just handed to him, and he wasn't ready for it. And then in the second movie, he realizes just how ill-equipped he was to be a captain. And he finally uh, gets what he needs to uh, to do and what kind of a person he needs to be to be a captain. And at the end of the film, he's finally the Captain Kirk that he needs to be. And now in this film, he's two years into the mission, and he is Captain Kirk, the Captain Kirk that we know. And I, I think that uh, um, it, it will be very interesting to see just how different he is in this film than he was in the first two because he definitely had a very uh, very large character arc in those films. And then back on the uh, the, the subject of the picture, um, absolutely they would have printed pictures that you can keep in your pocket, keep on your console. It doesn't use any power to, to uh, have it, you know, unlike uh, having it on some kind of a device. Uh, you can carry it around with you. Uh, it, you know, you don't have to worry about recharging the battery on it. Uh, and it's nice to just at a moment's notice, just pull it out of your pocket. Strange feeling that there's going to be something, some part of the movie where Sulu is in some type of peril or maybe trapped. And he's going to put that picture of his daughter up on the wall and that's going to get him through it. You know, Mm -hmm. being able to see his daughter again or being just being able to connect. Maybe he's isolated from everybody who knows, Mm -hmm. but it just seems that that's that, that perfect type of plot device, kind of like how, how Cliff Secord put that picture of Jenny up in the Rocketeer, everywhere he went, you know, that's, this is who I'm coming home to. This is my anchor to life. This is how I return. This is how I basically brace myself for all of the situations that I put myself through. So yeah, I I think that's going to be a great moment. That's definitely a great touch. And I think you're right, Ken. I think that these guys, especially with Simon Pegg being there, helming the writer's team, I think that he's really kind of thought this through and probably sat down with everybody. I could be wrong, but I'm the eternal optimist. I, I probably, I see him probably sitting down with him saying, this is how I think we need to redirect the ship here. I can anticipate what fans want because if you go to his work all the way back to Spaced, you know what he knows about being a fan first before he became the professional that he is today. Because that's basically, Spaced was his resume of letting everybody know how deep into the fandom, of all fandom that he is. So that's the level of trust that I have with him. And speaking of that, trust is really the issue here when it comes to, is this movie going to be the movie that we want to be, or want it to be, or... Is this going to be a further rift in the trust of just the current filmmakers that have been handed the reins? Can you actually you actually wrote down a really good point here? Uh, the response to the Beyond trailer, the lack of faith that JJ um, fans are actually say not fans of JJ to Trek to deliver a quality product that links to True Trek. Was the response to the trailer, and yes, pardon the pun here, was it too fast? and too furious of a response when it first came out. It was. It, it, it Well, let me put it this way. First of all, everybody has a right to their opinion, and no one's right or wrong in this. But we do have a microwave society. We 
we look at something, we judge it quickly, we make comments quickly, and there are people already that, um, you know, from the very beginning just didn't like what J.J. did with Star Trek, and they're looking for that that ammunition to, you know, to show you once again, you know, here's a, an action Star Wars-y adventure versus a Star Trek adventure, and, and the bottom line is we just don't know. And I think it isn't just Star Trek, it is, it's anything. Um, people react quickly to sound bites and you know they make these these incredible judgments now again that doesn't mean that they're wrong in those judgments they could be right it's personal opinion so i don't want to alienate people and the people that don't like jj track i'm not saying you're wrong because it's subjective it's your taste i'm sure there's a lot of music out there that i like that you don't and vice versa and when it comes to track i will just say that for a community that that sort of prides itself on being open to diversity and inclusion and, and, and all different types of, I guess, ways of expressing art that, um, that this, that, that, that the JJ verse, I don't even like that term, but the JJ verse gets such a, um, a, a lot of, I guess, hate and discontent being thrown at it because after the 09, I don't remember it being very hateful. In fact, a lot of people, and, and I know from Rotten Tomatoes, even Into Darkness, the Rotten Tomato scores are pretty high. So the movie over both movies overall, from a general audience perspective, are very well accepted. From a Star Trek perspective, it seems like the first one was, and the second one, and I, like I said, I understand the issues with the second one. I share them with you. Um, you know, it it just kind of it, it sunk, and we're not willing to give them another try. And you know, I, I think about Star Trek Four being a great movie and Star Trek Five getting panned. But that didn't keep people from giving them another shot in Star Trek VI. And I would, I would like to see that same kind of open attitude towards beyond because I, I, my nature is optimistic. And, and I'm kind of the guy who will sit back on Facebook and I will read a lot of the comments. And I don't respond mostly because, one, it's, it's not that much fun being attacked, and I only want to say something if I feel that it's really relevant to the discussion. And if it's not, and if it's just adding to the flames, then I'm not going to pour gasoline on it. Because I know in a few quips on Facebook, doesn't matter you know, whether it's the Babel Conference or not, you're really not going to change people's minds if that's how they really feel. And um, like I said, and there's, you know, there's people that want to boycott this movie. There's all kinds of things going on out there. I... Uh, I hope that that cooler heads prevail and I hope that it becomes a good Star Trek movie. And if it's not, if it misses the mark, you know, I think all of us on the show would be the first to admit it. But um let's 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 see where it takes us. I mean, it's it's Star Trek's supposed to be a fun ride. Let's 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 give it a shot. Let's let's buckle up and and go on the journey, see where it leads us and, you know, a minute 30 seconds to to pan it as much as it got panned. I I thought was really unfair. And I, I do really appreciate the cast and the crew coming back to explain, you know, even Simon Pegg saying, mm, that's not what I really remember in terms of what we were making this movie about. So let's see where they take us. Well, and, and to kind of further that point, and I'm going to ask you this, Jeff, it's kind of like did the combination of Justin Lin, because Justin Lin is obviously well known for being the director of The Fast and the Furious or or some or a lot of those movies, um, he has that explosive action adventure style. You know, it was very well pumped up in the trailer. And then you have J.J. Abrams producing. You have his team members. You know, you have Robert Orsi in there. Not Kurtzman, but you have Orsi. 
you have a lot of the same elements that people have a lot of trepidation about. So you put those all together, kind of whip that up into a large frenzy, put that in a minute and 30, and then serve it out to people right before Star Wars. Do you think that that gave people justification? And I'm going to use that loosely because you're right, Ken. Opinions have all types of variances and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But it seems that it was a formula that was destined to have a certain outcome. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, And a lot of people went into it with their opinion already formed before they even saw the trailer. They went in expecting that they were going to hate this. And, you know, they didn't like the last movie or the last two movies. And they expected that they weren't going to like this movie. So they were just latched on to anything that they could find to justify that opinion, uh, whether or not, uh, you know, they liked the trailer or not. Um, and unfortunately that's just a lot of things are like that these days where people just form an opinion based on nothing more than one or two seconds of a soundbite or, you know, they'll determine that someone is guilty of something or another based on, you know, just circumstantial, you know, hearsay posted online, you know, stuff gets shared online. Nobody ever checks to see if it's true or not and they share it. It's just all part of the same problem, and I, I think uh, it would be a lot more beneficial for the long run if instead of just immediately spouting out whatever comes to your mind at the very instant that you see something, take a breath, think about it, and then when you formed your opinion, have a concrete reason why you have your opinion. I didn't like this because of this point. Um, I liked it because of this point. And, you know, if you have a very, you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do like it, then great. But uh, um, I I think a lot of it was just uh, opinions that were formed before they even saw it. And uh, that colored their perspective when they they saw the trailer. It's almost if, um, I'm sorry, Ken, go ahead. I was just going to say, because you were asking about the the Fast and the Furious and I, I think he directed the middle ones. I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that those movies are some of the um, top box office, box office grossing films of all time. So they wanted to put his name out there. And they're definitely playing to a much larger, larger audience than, than just Star Trek fans. Because, you know, if you look at the, uh, the middle movies and a lot of the later TNG movies, the only people that really went to see those were Star Trek fans. It wasn't a mass appeal audience. It wasn't Star Wars where everybody was coming in and everybody liked it. And I think that is really the difference between the last two films is general audiences loved them both or liked them both a lot. And they made a ton of money. And if you're trying to sell this thing to a larger audience, then you know, Justin Lin has a pretty good name, and he has a good name for delivering good quality movies. Now, I, I can't say I'm a huge fan of, of the Fast and Furious films. I've, I've seen some of them. Uh, I'm not really sure which ones he did. Uh, I did hear that he was the one that kind of mo- made it more family-like and, and kind of quelled it, but um, I, I really can't say, so I, I don't want to jump too far into it. But I think it was packaged the way it was packaged for a very specific reason, and I think that you know, if the studio had thought about it um, as far as how it was going to be received by the, the hardcore Trekkies, well, we're a tough group to 
to make happy. <laughs> we that just for generally sure. are. So that, I, I think that uh, decades. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the way we like it. And, and it's funny because um, before there was any kind of Facebook and we used to go to conventions and so forth, it seemed like we were all united in, in all things. And now there was a lot less track back then when I was going back in the 80s and 90s. But uh, even then, we uh, today, excited. you know, you have factions all over the place within the Star Trek universe. And uh, it's... It's interesting because it brings a lot of different viewpoints into it, and, and you find them a lot within the um, different podcasts that we listen to on this network. And they're all, they're all positive in what they're doing, but they definitely have some pretty strong opinions. And, hey, we'll see. But I, I, I do get where Paramount was going with this. This, this wasn't for, uh, you know, Ken Tripp, who's been a fan since 1979, and, you know, knew every line from the original series by heart for years and was going to conventions. No, this was for, you know, um, my kids and, and others who appreciate Star Trek, but couldn't do what I used to do. They, they, they're not as deep as, as we are. Yeah, and one thing that I'd like to share, actually, and this is this obviously how I see it. If you told me that the director of Dead Alive and the Frighteners was going to create probably one of the most beloved now all-time fantasy trilogies, The Lord of the Rings, and that's Peter Jackson, I would be like, no way. No way. That guy directed The Frighteners. Come on. And then, in the same breath, if you told me the same guy that directed Aliens and True Lies and Terminator would go on to create the first, the greatest box office giant of all time in Titanic, I'd be like, that's, that's not this guy. It's James Cameron. That's not this guy. He doesn't do that. So what I'm saying is I agree with what Jeff is saying. I agree with what Ken is saying. Dial it down a little bit for yourself. Take a deep breath and allow Justin Lin and Simon Pegg and his writing team to tell the story first. Afterwards, if you disagree with anything or everything that they did, by all means, go at it, write your blog, put it on Facebook, write it in the Babel Conference, and let us know the reasons why. But in terms of 91 seconds of mishmashed edits and obviously some type of specific direction that these people were trying to sell to you prior to seeing The Force Awakens is not the best way to probably approach accepting or rejecting an entire work. But until that time, the onus really is on Justin Lin and on Simon Pegg in repairing the trust in fandom. They jumped on this really quickly within the first couple days. I'm going to pull an article from TrekCore.com. They wrote on December 16th in 2015, it was two days after the trailer that dropped on, 20, on December 14th, Justin Lin's official response. And he said, quote, there were versions that were much more traditional. But with trailers, you're putting a two-hour movie into a minute and a half. And the one thing I wanted to make sure is that it hopefully represents what we are trying to be bold and take risks. Whether we were successful or not, I don't know. I'm not afraid to share it. I feel like we have the goods in a two-hour two run and you really do get to know the characters and hopefully the journey is great, end quote. And lastly, this is and a really funny thing, but it's just funny to mention because everyone was really up in arms about it. Quote, when I saw the teaser, I'm like, oh, shit, you really have to put the motorcycle in there? So 
brackets for Fast and Furious comments, unbrackets, I get it, I get it, I get it. He even understands. So allow the work to speak for itself is what he's saying. And then before I ask your responses, Ken and Jeff, I just want to say one more thing. From the British online website, Hey You Guys, on December 17th, at the European premiere for Star Wars The Force Awakens, they asked Simon Pegg about his feelings seeing the trailer, and I quote, It was very action-packed. I was, it was surprising. I found it to be kind of the marketing people sort of saying, everyone come and see this film, is full of action and fun, when there's a lot more to it than that. I didn't love it, because I know there's a lot more to the film. There's a lot more story, and a lot more character stuff, and a lot more of what I would call, quote, Star Trek stuff, unquote. But you know they've got to bring in a big audience in. They've got to bang the drum. So to Star Trek fans, I'd say hang in there and be patient, end quote. And I think that is very sound advice. How did you guys react to these articles when you saw them posted post-trailer? I was hoping that um, it would resonate with some of the people that had a lot of the negative comments and so forth, but I'll never know. I I enjoyed it because I was hoping it would calm the storm a little bit, and perhaps it has as time has gone on. We haven't talked about it a lot on the Babel Conference since, and uh, you know this is a perfect opportunity to ask that question of our listeners. Did this change your view? Did this give you hope that they're going to get it right? And I hope that, um, you know, you let us know if it did or it didn't, because I was happy that they came out and said it, because I figured the same thing, and I think a lot of us did. This is a marketing ploy. This is not the movie. And we did see a lot of people go back to, and I did myself, right? After this came out, I went back on YouTube, and I looked at the trailers for all the other Star Trek movies, and guess what? They didn't have rock and roll, but they had a ton of action that really wasn't indicative of a lot of those films. You know, you look at Star Trek 2 and it just looks like a shoot 'em up. And if you applied the same music to it, it would be the same thing. So, you know, I, I I went back just to see if I was crazy and this is this is the way they've always been marketing these things and it and it has been and I just think that um hopefully it will resonate with people what they're saying and and we'll see. So so please, I'm asking everybody out there, let us know if especially those that really hated it or didn't like the JJ movies, if what was said out there makes you feel any differently. Yeah, I agree. Uh, It addressed directly exactly what everybody was complaining about. And it said, this is only 30 seconds of the movie taken out of context, you know, be patient. And personally, I didn't have any problem with the motorcycle because it tied directly back to the 2009 film. I mean, Kirk's driving around in a motorcycle at the beginning of that film. He's driving in a motorcycle here. I, I don't see the problem. Um, but uh, again, that's that's what I took away from it. I And some others didn't. So when you're looking back at the trailer, because we've watched this in preparation for this show. And we're all very positive people about this. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that are positive about it, too. And I want to hear your com- you know, their comments and stuff like that on the Babel Conference. But let's look at it with a little bit more of a critical eye. And I'm going to ask you, were there any instances in the trailer where you felt like, that's not really speaking to me as a Star Trek fan? Or that's probably not where I would have liked to have seen it from either production standpoint or a tonal standpoint, or even, you know what, 
I've seen enough of those kind of quips from Kirk. You know, I thought he would have grown a little bit more from here. Um, I'll actually, I will say for me, one of the scenes that actually probably bothered me the most, and it'll probably be written in a way where I will accept it. It was the scene where Kirk and I think her name is Jayla, uh, Sophia Butella's character, were being beamed out of a certain situation And in the process of beaming, it was portional beaming, I'd like to call it, instead of instantaneous beaming. And I know we Star Trek fans, we love dissecting our tech. And we know that that type of process, the type of process of beaming, the transporter process, it doesn't do it in parts. It does it in whole. So when I saw that, I'm like, that still kind of doesn't really sit well with me. If there's an explanation for that within the two-hour time frame of the movie that I will see, I'll wait for it. But until then, that's just one of those things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Do either of you guys have one of those instances where you're like, mm, not quite yet, not quite there? Uh, uh, and, uh, to address the, uh, the beaming thing, um, I just assumed it was an alien transporter because that certainly didn't look like a Starfleet uh, transporter pad that they landed on. That's what I thought too, yeah. Um, but my biggest issue was making it look yet again like they're blowing up the Enterprise. Um, whether or not they're actually doing it or not, I mean, they pulled that with Into Darkness and they've blown up the Enterprise in about four other times now. Um, and it's just kind of tired. And I, I'm, if you're going to do that, maybe not putting it in the teaser um, might they be a good idea. They haven't learned their lesson from Star Trek Three, I guess, Jeff. But um, that just seems to be a circular, <laughs> a, a circular thing. We always seem to come back to that and it's, Exactly where I was going. I am. I, I really want the Enterprise to be treated like a character, like like a, an important integral mm-hmm. part of the movie, not just a, a a random space vessel. Now, you know the JJ Enterprise. A lot of people have a lot of critiques on its design and how it looks and its size and its scope. It doesn't matter. It's the Enterprise, and I am quite sure, just based on what Christopher Pine says or what Captain Kirk says in the trailer. That it's gone. Uh, that is that is a trope that um, we could have done without, and we talked about that before. I think on a, on a Patreon episode where uh, uh, on the uh, roundtable where it's like, come on, guys, you know d- why can't you recognize? And this is something that Gene Roddenberry and I'll back him up on. You know he had a he had an affinity for ships. He had an affinity for for the vessels that that bring you home or get you to where you need to go, and they need to be you know, thought of as, you know, and that's why ships are called a she, you know, that, that, that whole thing. I'm not trying to be sexist here, people, but that's just the way it goes because you love it. And it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very important and it's integral to, to a lot of people's fandom, at least mine. So Jeff, I'm a hundred percent with you. That was the one thing I was like, oh, please not again, not, not take this ship out. And, if it's going to be a character movie, then I will say there's one flaw in all the writers and all the movies is that they forget that the Enterprise is the key character in these movies. At least it is to me. Well, it's like Dr. McCoy said in uh, Encounter at Farpoint, you know, treat her like a lady and she'll always take you home. And it just feels like they're not doing that in the last few movies. They're just treating it like it's just a random ship, and it's not. Yeah, I think that... Um I think that's a great point. The Enterprise is the ship that a lot of Star Trek fans, especially the original series fans, believe that is that extra crewman. You know, that's um, 
that character that you want to see also survive the story. You know, you come back to the Enterprise. The Enterprise is your home. It's what, it shelters you. It protects you from space. It allows you to have all of these great, forge all these great memories and relationships inside this ship. It's, I'm not sure if there are a lot of fans out there that are listening that are fans of Farscape or fans of Firefly, but they treated those ships the same way. It would be heartbreaking to see the Millennium Falcon get destroyed. It would be heartbreaking to see the ship that you fall in love with be just thrown away like an aluminum can. And probably the probably the most egregious, I guess, it, moment for me in Star Trek was, I think it was in First Contact where Picard said plenty more letters in the alphabet. That hurts me to my core when that's how you describe the Enterprise. She is a beautiful Mm -hmm. lady, and we love her. Yeah, so not to get into a uh, vocal war with our friends over there at Earl Grey or any of the TNG fans, but yes, with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, Sulu, and the Enterprise, that is your crew. That is the family of the original series, and yes, we would like to see that maintained and protected and treated with reverence. But one of the last things that I want to do is in final thoughts is I just wanted to start and leave you with actually a Star Wars idea, a Star Wars theme. When you approach this movie and when you approach the trailers that are coming in time, I would like to leave with everybody this idea of the challenge of Yoda's cave. When Luke Skywalker asked Yoda what is in that cave, Yoda says, only what you bring with you. When I was a kid, I was like, well, shoot, he's going to bring in his weapons, he has his weapons with him. He's going to bring in food, he has food with him. You know, water, whatever. When you understand what that means is leave everything behind you when you walk into that movie. Leave the fear. Leave the doubt, leave the anger, leave the anything that interferes with your ability just to be able to enjoy what you are seeing at the time. And I guarantee you, you will find value in what you're seeing. So before we finish up the show here, Ken, Jeff, are there any other final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, um, going back once again to uh, the picture uh, that we're assuming of Demora, um, if it is indeed Demora, she's about ten years older in this timeline. Um, if not, maybe it's her older sister because he did say that there was a surprise associated with that picture. So maybe it's a different daughter. Could you be. are definitely Could into be. the details, sir. We'll see about that. I, I'm hopeful it's Demora. I don't know what the timelines are. I do want to point out too that um, he did have time to make a family because. Even at the end of Into Darkness, there's a year that goes by from the time that the Enterprise and the uh, the Vengeance crash uh, to the time that it's relaunched and recommissioned. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a year's worth of activity we don't see in that movie that could definitely play into Beyond. So and there's lots of other differences too because Chekhov's six years older than this. There it is. Too. So <laughs> we keep coming up with more. But at any rate, we'll 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 see where it winds up. But that's just one thing I wanted to point out because if 
if people, you know, like I said, a lot of people kind of turned off that that last movie. But if they didn't catch it, there was there was a fair amount of time between when the ship was repaired and it was changed. There were fundamental changes to the ship. I don't know if a lot of people caught that. I'm sure most people on this network did because that's what we do. But um, the Enterprise was different in uh, its its impulse engines and some of the things with its nacelles and so forth um, between what it was like when it was trashed uh, to when it was repaired. So this has been a great show, guys. I mean, we've talked a lot about 91 seconds of a trailer. But I think more importantly, what we were able to do is go beyond talking about the trailer and what we expect as fans first and what we would like to see as a community second. Because in the end, we're still a Star Trek community. We are in the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. That is an amazing thing. Ken, in Standard Orbit 111, you said, like, how many shows withstand the test of this kind of time? There were really only a handful of them, Doctor Who being one of them. But for us, this is our time as fans. Why should we spend that time in the negative? Why not look forward to what's being presented to us. It may not always meet all the marks. It may not hit every single one of our checklists for potential. But the bottom line is, is that we still have new product being afforded to us. We still have new ideas being presented to us. And as fans, we still have the ability to talk about it like we're doing tonight. And I still find that very encouraging and incredibly hopeful for leading ourselves into, A, all the conventions that are going on, B, the Las Vegas convention that's happening in August, and finally, the release of Into, into of sorry, Into uh, Beyond, which is happening later this year. And then, as that's happening, looking forward to what's going to be going on with the news releases for 2017. So, even though there are here and there issues, really, We're still talking about Star Trek. We're still talking about the original series 50 years from 1966. I think that is an extraordinary thing. It's been a fantastic discussion going beyond the newest Star Trek movie trailer here on Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere here on the network on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It would be a lot of fun to be able to MST3K an episode like (laughs) Arena, which who doesn't love poking fun at a rock throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know, can you find a rudimentary lathe? (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that on the Babel conference today because Guy Fliegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever. Earl Grey. This 547 meter long, 32 deck, 502 crew member. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. To the journey. Now we go to Once Upon a Time. (laughs) (laughs) Neelix tries to warp five. If they could have kind of told us it's more of a future for us, but we're going to build up to the Star Trek, you know. And Larry's uh, comment back was, well, that would mean that they kind of were planning it out and they knew what they were doing ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's sing. That sounds like Larry. Commentary, Trek stars. 
I will say, if you want to see what it's really like when someone slices open a tauntaun to get inside to stay warm, like in the real world, yeah, that like that was the best part of the movie. I'm like, really? Han Solo made it look so easy. <laughs> this is what happens. This is terrifying. The Six O Two Club. It's about that transformation of getting Oliver to be able to see themselves as something more than vigilantes, but being heroes. Yeah, and there is a lot of, um, I like that, because there is a lot in the, in the quote-unquote, as you're calling it, the island story, which the island now is Hong Kong, <laughs> um, as you pointed out. Yeah, earlier. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bigger than an island. Literary Treks. Dan, are you sure that flavor isn't something like a green liquid voodoo drink? <laughs> oh man. This <laughs> Because that could be the flavor that we're oh, going for. Lord. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So Mr. Ataz, please let all of our listeners know how they can access all of the different avenues on Trek FM and how to find it across subspace. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek FM and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and it helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. Now, this is one of the ways that you can help us to support the network. And another way that you can help us support the network is through a program that we have called Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash trekfm. Ken, that's how you came into the network. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about the program and why it's important for fans, not just of Trek FM, but for any fandom, to help support them through this great opportunity through Patreon? Absolutely. So there's there's two things here. One, you know, there's obviously a lot of associated costs for running a network this large, and there's a lot of a lot of costs involved in storage and publishing and equipment and you name it. And the quality that this that these recordings come out as and the 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 just the approach that the Trek FM has, you know, they want to do it right, and they put out great entertainment for all of us. So a year and a half ago, uh, I started listening to Trek FM, and I was listening to this same segment where they talked about Patreon, and that's Patreon. Let me spell that for you, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM, allows you to go in there and donate to keep these shows coming, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis and biweekly basis, depending on the shows. So there's a lot of great benefits for this, and not only do you get to listen to these great shows, but there's a lot of... Uh, additional perks that you get along with it. So you can go into the patron zone, which allows you to pull in different downloads and different recordings, as well as screensavers, all kinds of things that, that Chris puts in there for you. Uh, if you if you donate at $15 a month, you can be part of the patrons roundtable twice a month, which is exciting. So if you've wanted to try podcasting or see what it's like or meet some of these hosts and, and join in, you know, with Will or with Chris, depending on who's um, who's hosting, it's a lot of fun. I think the last show had eight or nine people on it. It was it was something. I can't wait for that one to come out. And then if you donate twenty five dollars more, you get associate producer credits for the shows that you like. So, you know, there's there's no limit. There's there's no there's no higher. There's no low. We appreciate what you can do for us. And I'll also say too, if you if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom. You can also find great Trek.fm themed merchandise at redbubble.com and just type Trek.fm into the search field 
and you'll be able to find some really cool products that Aaron Harvey has designed and, and put out. And it's, um, it, it's really catching on. So if you want to show your fandom, you want to wear your fandom, that's also good opportunities to help support the network. Awesome, Ken. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. And in the patron support options, you have the option of becoming an associate producer for the show of your choice. And we have to thank our associate producers for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts and Richard Rutledge. Thank you so much, as always, for all of your support for Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon.com. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701 and Richard at RUT8972. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page. You can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. We've been actually getting some really great feedback from all of you, either through email or through the Babel conference, but we still love voice messages because we love hearing you, our fans and the listeners, and what you expect from us because we are doing this for you. We love actually producing this for all of our fans. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm. Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm. And as we've mentioned throughout the course of the show and through all of our podcasts, the Babel Conference. The Babel Conference is a listener's page. It's for listeners for the network, and you can type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. There are so many great conversations happening on the Babel Conference. It's a very respectful, very open, very secure place for you to enjoy your fandom and to share with us your ideas about Standard Orbit, about all of the other shows that are happening on Trek FM, and we would like to be able to engage with you because we love talking about Star Trek if you haven't actually already known. So before we close this out, I would like for my two guests, my co-host Jeffrey Harlan and our chief engineer Chen, to be able to get in contact with you. So, Ken... How can our fans get in touch with you through the network? For me, it's the Babel Conference. That's that's where I'm on all the time. You can uh, enjoy some good conversations on the Babel Conference. You can IM me through the Babel Conference. I just want to also let you know, too, that that all of us here, as well as um, uh, speaking on the show and being a, uh, a part of it, that uh, we're all patrons, all of us. So it's, it's, uh, it's a real big deal um, to not only be an associate producer of the network— but also an editor, also a guest host, but also a, a, a big contributor to the network. So it's it's not only we asking you to contribute, we do it ourselves. I just wanted to put that out there. And Jeff, how about you? How can our fans and our listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to talk or challenge you even, Mr. Ataz, on any trivia that's happening on Trek FM? Well, if you don't have access to an Atavicron or the Guardian of Forever, uh, you can find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Harlander. And like Ken was saying, I'm also a supporter of the network through Patreon. Um, and you can check out my website. Uh, it's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek, and that's at trekopedia.com. Thanks, guys, so much for being on the show. It was a great discussion, and I can't wait for all of our listeners to hear it. I encourage all of you to get in touch with us through the Babel Conference. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on like a, the Babel Conference. That's where I pretty much live. And I've actually recently changed my Twitter handle to be a little bit more me, more me than my actual name. So my new Twitter handle is Starfighter1701. That is Starfighter1701 because A, you know what 1701 means. B, I love The Last Starfighter. It's one of my favorite films. 
And like Ken and like Jess said, aside from being a host here on the network and doing a lot of things behind the scenes, first and foremost, I am a patron through patreon.com. That's how I started my career here. And I couldn't be more proud of the support that I can give them through that program. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.